following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. This, uh, this morning's reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes, another very encouraging reading. <laughs> Again, I saw the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, the tears of the oppressed, with no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power with no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who have already died must more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has not yet been and has not ever seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toll and all skill in work come from one person's envy of another. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet, with quiet than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For, who am I, for whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity in an unhappy business. <laughs> Isn't the Bible so inspirational? So beautiful? Actually, it is. That's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'll tell you more in a little bit. But when I was in high school, uh, my church did this thing where the youth group kids could choose from a handful of uh, different classes for Sunday school. So instead of just coming in, you know, the hour before church and going to a, a, you know, a grade, you know, you go to your eighth grade class or your ninth grade class or whatever, everybody got to choose based on the topics that volunteers had chosen to teach about for that season. This probably happened in September at the beginning of a school year uh, when all bad ideas in church <laughs> occur. Um, and uh, yes, it, it was the 90s, so you can imagine some of the titles of the Sunday school classes, right? Uh, the Dangers of Rock Music, um, How to Stay Pure in High School, or Drugs Are Bad and okay. um, <laughs> right? I'm joking, but only slightly joking, right? Maybe a little bit of embellishment, but not that much. Uh, but the next part of the story is not embellished at all. One of the classes was called, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Right? Not why, are, why do bad things happen to good people, with a question mark, but why bad things happen to good people, like with a period at the end. And on the first Sunday, 90% of the kids in the entire youth group piled into that room. And on the second Sunday, the class was canceled. Now, I want to be as kind as possible to that poor volunteer Sunday school teacher who probably really didn't have any idea what they were getting themselves into. But I do still feel some sadness about the idea that so many young people were desperate for an answer to a hard question. And they thought they were going to get it, and then they didn't get it. The church let them down. I mean, I didn't mind. I was in the dangers of rock and roll class, but... <laughs> 
Right, so it seems like now is a good time to point out the fact that today's sermon is not titled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. As you can see from the screen, the title is actually instead, You Are Not Alone. Now, it's not that I'm dodging the hard question. It's that I truly don't believe there's a clear answer to that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I, and I think... Most days, I actually think that's the wrong question anyway. Now, this is Artisan Church. There's no wrong question. But I do very seriously consider it part of my calling as your pastor to help you get from a question that's not the best question to a question that's a little bit of a better question. See, the thing is, there's many different stories in the Bible that might point us to answers to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Many different stories might give us many different answers to that question. Or to use the language of our series, many different answers to the question, why is the world falling apart around me? And so I think in this case, the better question better than why do bad things happen to good people, is something like, how do the people of the Bible respond when terrible things happen to them, and how can that inform my own or our own response to the world falling apart? It's not quite as catchy. <laughs> it, it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, but this is the thing about a serious spiritual pursuit. It never does. It never does fit on a bumper sticker. So this is the first thing that I want to tell you about in this series. And by the way, it's not the first thing that happened in this series. I want to commend and thank again the three people who shared up here last week about the ways that their actual lives today are falling apart. It was very brave and inspiring to hear from people who are willing to be so honest in church, which is a place, unfortunately, that doesn't always feel like it's safe to be honest in. But the first thing that I want to say to you in this series is this. You are not alone. It is so important that each of you knows that you do not face the trials of your life by yourself. If you've been with us for the past few years, you know that this became almost a mantra for us as a community during the pandemic. You are not alone. I can't count the number of times that I or one of our leaders said that into their laptop screens from some sequestered point with no one else in the room to dozens, maybe hundreds of people who were sitting alone in their own rooms, perhaps, to say you are not alone became such an important part of our way of navigating that terrible time. And I want to say to you, if you feel alone in the world right now, if you need community, I honestly believe you can find it here. And I want to extend that invitation to you and also say to you, I know it's not always easy. And we are not a perfect congregation. And when it comes to um, extrovertedly welcoming newcomers into our midst. Sometimes we have a little bit of work to do. And so if you have been here for a while and you feel like I'm still not connecting, I still feel kind of alone, I would love to talk to you and try my best to help you um, find that connection point. But for today, I sort of mean you are not alone in a different way, right? So I'm not, not really focusing today on the immediate local community. That's going to happen on the 11th when we talk about bearing one another's burdens. 
Today I want to talk about how some of the examples from the Bible um, show us that we are not alone, uh, not just in the, the here and now, but across the entire span of Christian history, and indeed the history of the people of God, and the history of the human race. God's people have always, always suffered at some points in their lives. And they have always, always, during those times, wondered why they suffered. And they have always, always tried to come up with neat and tidy explanations, and they have always, always failed to explain it completely. And the really, uh, well, this might show you how twisted my brain and possibly heart are, but the really interesting and fun thing about reading the Bible looking for answers is that you can get so many different answers that seem to contradict each other sometimes. So for some of you, that might not be the fun thing about the Bible, but the infuriating thing about the Bible. But the truth is there are so many different worldviews represented in the characters of the Bible, and that's necessarily going to mean that you get different answers to hard questions. So what I'm going to do today is try to familiarize you with a handful of those answers that come from different worldviews and different perspectives of the biblical characters and their experiences. And my hope is that you'll find at least one that resonates with you, and that will inspire you or encourage you to spend some more time with that part of the Bible. And as always, I'm at your disposal if you're reading the Bible and going, what is going on here? I'm about to give up on this. I hate this. I don't understand this. I, I would love, I love hearing from people who say that kind of thing. It's my favorite thing in my job literally is, is helping people read the Bible. Um, not from a perspective, if you can't guess yet, that has all the answers, uh, but from one that maybe helps people go a little deeper with it. I'm at your disposal. The, the Tuesday night, 7 p.m. discussion group is at your disposal as well. So let's start with that really uh, inspiring passage you heard right before the sermon from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. A uh, nice, hopeful, inspiring message, right? You got such, I could feel the warm fuzziness just growing in the room as Doug read one word after another. Did you catch that the author of that book said, I thought the dead who have already died were more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both? is the one who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Did you catch that part? <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't find this on the poster at the Christian bookstore, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, set over a beautiful, like, landscape scene or something. <laughs> it would be better if you were never here. Right? <laughs> Now, right, somebody's like literally Googling how to make a poster right now. Right? <laughs> we'll sell them. Artisanchurch.com, right at the bottom. Oh, my goodness. Now, you have to understand, the person who wrote this, we believe, was, was King Solomon. This is what tradition tells us, anyway. King Solomon was a man who had everything. I mean, according to, like, the men's magazine definition of having everything. Right? He had all the wealth, all the women, all the wine in the whole world that any person could ever consume. And I use that verb deliberately. And yet he still came to the place where he said, the dead are better off than the living and better still would be never to have been born in the first place. And by the way, isn't it a miracle that that made it into the Bible at all? <laughs> I often love to do the thought experiment of what would still be in the Bible 
<laughs> what would still be in the Bible if the people who control the levers of power in the Christian church today got to decide? <laughs> right? We'd have like <laughs> 10 pages. <laughs> anyway, I want you to notice also what he says in the very next verse, which is probably the closest thing you get to an explanation for anything in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from one person's envy of another. This also is vanity, um, meaning not like staring at yourself in the mirror, but as like it's all in vain, and a chasing after wind. So that's the key to understanding this biblical teacher. One person's envy of another causes all the strife in the world. And maybe if you think about it, you could see how it comes down to that. Now, if you think that that means he has a neat and tidy uh, conclusion to the end of his book, mm, not really. So I guess what I'm saying to you as far as this part of the sermon is, if this kind of cynical but still pretty godly perspective appeals to you the way it appeals to me, um, I recommend you read the book of Ecclesiastes this week. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling about it, but I actually do recommend that you read this book if that appeals to you. Um, you can read it probably in about 20 minutes. It's not a super long book. You could probably read m- most of it every day this week. And if you thought about the, the state of the world and the state of your life and things falling apart in light of this book, you would find some benefit in that. I would trust that the Holy Spirit would be present with you in your reading of that scripture. Even though, and maybe because, it doesn't have a super neat and tidy ending. All right. Here's another book, the book of Job. How many of you are expecting, to me, expecting me to get to the book of Job this morning, right? <laughs> All right, uh, well, we're going to be here a while. <laughs> no. uh, a lot of people would probably choose the book of Job as like the, the place to find the most aggrieved person in the whole Bible, right? All of his livestock was stolen. All of his household servants were slaughtered. He had boils on his skin. His family was killed. Um, and all of this... Uh, as a result of God betting the devil that Job would never turn away from his faith no matter, about, no matter how bad things got. Um, and if that makes you feel good about God, I'm not sure you're, you're hooked up the same way that I am at least. I don't want to center my own experience or anything, but that doesn't make me feel good about God. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that can be said about the book of Job. Um, First of all, you're not reading it in 20 minutes and doing it every day this week. It's 42 chapters long. Um, but let me tell you one thing about this book that, that made me hate it less. I'll just be honest with you. Right? It's a play. The book of Job is a dramatic work. It's possibly the oldest book in the Bible, having no mention really of any connection to the Israelites or the faith of the people of uh, God, the family of Abraham. We, we think it's a play because it follows a certain formula of dramatic work of that era of literary history. And so, for me, it was enormously helpful to stop thinking about it as a, a literal thing that happened and to start thinking of it more like an over-the-top movie, right? And when you start to think about how drama can turn into melodrama really quickly, maybe this book doesn't seem, um, it still seems very outlandish, but maybe that's part of the point of the story and the, the genre of literature that it is. 
It made it easier for me to stomach. I offer it to you in case that's true for you as well. So I'll just come out and say, I don't believe Job is a person who ever actually lived. I don't think we, uh, I don't think that that conversation between God and the devil ever actually happened. Um, and I don't think that we need to believe those other two things in order to think that this story is true in some sense and in order to find some meaning in it. So here's where I think you might find some value in the book of Job. Do any of you have religious friends who, when things are going sideways in your life, they say extremely unhelpful things? Right? This is like the sucker at the poker table. If you don't have a friend who does this, you might be the friend who does this. <laughs> right? I'm going to encourage you to rein that in. What are some of the things that people say? Go ahead and shout it out if you can think of one right now. When you're going through a terrible time, what's the religious platitude that you hate the most? Everything happens for a reason. What else? It's God's plan. God will never give you more than you can handle. Prayers and blessings. Oh, they do. They just roll off the tongue. Um, So far, hasn't been mentioned God is testing your faith. It will be okay in the end. It must be the result of some unconfessed sin. Right? Yeah. Doesn't this make you want to smash a plate? <sighs> and Job's friends are the literal worst about this. They give every single terrible, unsatisfying, victim-blaming, gaslighting explanation under the sun for Job's trials. And if you would rather hate someone else's friends than your own, (laughs) the book of Job might be for you. (laughs) And the thing is, they're all proven wrong in the end. They look real dumb. They get what's coming to them. It's very satisfying. (laughs) And then God says to Job, hey, buddy, were you there when I made the entire universe? No. Then maybe stop looking for explanations. Which is maybe not the most satisfying answer, but it's better than what Job's friends were giving him. So, that's Job, and if it appeals to you, especially if you've got friends in your life who are making it worse, not better, with their religious language, you might consider reading the book of Job. I'm going to pick up the pace here because there are so many Bible characters to consider. Um, For example, the prophets of Israel. The prophets of Israel just had the worst time of it. Lots of examples here, right? So take Daniel, right? Many of you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Why was he put in the lion's den? Well, it's because he refused to bow down to the Babylonian king, right? He refused to worship uh, uh, essentially a person in an empire instead of the one true God. And God protected him and closed the lion's mouths. I still remember that phrase from Sunday school. I was a church kid, by, by the way, if you haven't picked that up. God closed the lion's mouths and rewarded Daniel for his steadfastness, his refusal to budge on his faith. So if you are truly feeling right now that your own falling apartness is caused by people who are judging you for being a believer in the one true God, then the book of Daniel might be where you should go this week. You might want to study the book of Daniel throughout this series even. I must warn you, it gets pretty weird It's not just about the lion's den. There's some other stuff in there. 
Um, but it might, be, it might be useful to you. Um, but I think it bears pointing out that most of the other prophets were oppressed and suffered not at the hands of pagan kings, but by their own religious communities. Right? We're not like a shout back at the pastor type of church, but that's, that would have been the line. Come on, pastor. <laughs> we're due to go visit our friends at Baber, aren't we? Why were they oppressed by the religious people? Because they were calling out the religious people. They were calling them on the carpet saying, you have turned away from God. You have neglected justice. You are not caring for the poor. You are consumed with the idolatry of the communities around you. And here I think some of you might find some common ground. If you find yourself, for example, calling your fellow believers to works of justice and mercy and being told something like, no, the really godly thing is to be patriotic and support the economy, or whatever, then you might want to read the books of First and Second Kings and see what happened to all the prophets who tried to call the kings out and the people out on their failures. By the way, don't slip into the, like, the opposite problem, which is judging other people for not living their life of faith the way you think it ought to be lived. Right? We can call each other to, to what is better without um, scapegoating each other and rejecting each other and closing off and putting up more boundary walls than ever were put up in the churches that we grew up in or whatever might have been your experience. Okay? We must beg God that we never fall into the trap of doing that same kind of um, pharisaical thing just because we have the right answers or the right version of things. Right? All right, that's a free sermon. That's not part of the actual sermon. <laughs> if we turn to the Christian scriptures, mostly in the book of Acts, we'll find all kinds of suffering on the hands of, uh, uh, on the parts of the apostles of Jesus. Um, many stories of them being in jail, of them being beaten or being chased out of town. Uh, eventually, you, you might know that all but John. Um, of the original apostles were executed for their faith. Right? So in this case, kind of like with Daniel, their suffering was caused as a result of their devotion to God. Which is worth studying, but I want to be careful that we don't, we don't um, turn ourselves into martyrs too easily or too quickly. Right? There does seem to be a trend of imagining a level of oppression against Christian people in this country that simply, in my view, does not exist. Right? And, um, you know, being teased for being the religious person in high school, which is probably something that happened to me, although I was blissfully unaware of most of the occasions of my teasing, um, which is why I'm able to exist in life today, probably. Um, that's, it's, I'm not saying that's good, but it's not, it's not the same thing as what the apostles were going through exactly. Um, anyway, it's worth studying those as well, and I, I don't mean to call you away from that if you feel drawn to it. This truly is about putting in front of you a bunch of different examples of suffering and explanations for it and inviting you to go deeper into one of them. That is what I'm trying to do here. Um, and, and the last example I'll give is the, the lament psalmists. If you've been around artisan for any length of time, you know that I come back to this 
theme on the regular because it's so important to me to know that the people of God wrote songs about how miserable life was. And that those songs, just like the book of Ecclesiastes, made it into the Bible. And because those can be such a, a point of solidarity for us. And what might be even more interesting is if you were to look into the lives of the psalmists as much as you can, it's usually going to be King David, to see why they were so miserable at certain times in their lives, right? So taking King David as an example, at least one occasion he wrote a psalm that was sort of miserable because he had done horrible, terrible things, including rape and murder. And he was begging God to recreate him. Create me a clean heart, oh God. On other occasions, the source of suffering was completely external. It was that the people of God had been conquered and dragged out of their homeland and put into some version of servitude. And yet they were trying to remain faithful, but they couldn't square the circle. They couldn't understand why life was so bad when they had been so good. And these Psalms of Lament might be of use to you too. Listen, if you don't know where to go for these, I give you pastoral permission to Google anything you want. (laughs) Be careful. If you see an animated GIF of a dove with fire around it, just hit the back button and try a different one. (laughs) But here's the thing. If you don't know which the Psalms of Lament are, just Google the phrase Psalms of Lament. The answer will be correct. And then you can find where to start if that's what resonates with you today. (sighs) The Psalms of Lament express the full range of human emotion, including some stuff that we would say is incredibly disturbing and reprehensible, wishing uh, very bad things to happen to very innocent human beings, little tiny ones even, right? And so if you've ever wished ill on somebody, I promise you that whoever wrote Psalm 137 wished more and worse ill on someone than you ever have. And that can, too, that can also be a, a point of solidarity. All right. This is not one of those sermons that has like a, here's the spiritual lesson and I'm going to call you forward to the altar to, to get right with Jesus in a specific way, but I just don't think there's an easy answer to this. What I want you to know is that you are not alone because the people of God have always suffered and they have always tried to explain their suffering and they have always failed but that didn't stop them from writing it down and it didn't stop the people who edited the bible from including it and it doesn't need to stop you from reading it and finding some value in it so i'm not going to ask you to shout it out but i am going to ask you in the next 10 seconds to think about which of these stories resonated most with you And I'm going to encourage you, now that it's in your head, and it's too late, because I didn't give you the homework assignment before I asked you to do the thing, I'm going to encourage you to to look a little deeper into that story this week. And if you need help with that, come see me right after the service or email me, scott.artisanchurch.com. Because I want you to dig deeper. I want you to keep trying. I want you to hang on. And I want you to know you're not alone. Of course, I've neglected thus far to describe for you the most important story of suffering in the whole Bible, which is the suffering of Jesus, whose suffering was in no way the result of his own sin or failing, 
but rather was the result of human sin and failing, the types that we're all guilty of. And it's that suffering which is reenacted in every single worship service in one form or another. And at Artisan, we, our entire existence, have reenacted the life and death and suffering and resurrection of Jesus, whether you've known it or not, at every single one of our services because we take communion every Sunday together, and that's exactly what this sacrament seeks to do. And so whether you're a member of our church or not, whether you're a member of any church or not, our communion table is open to you. And I would invite you to come, if you will, and take a a communion serving. Come through the center aisle and back through the outer aisles. That will help us keep the flow going well here at Artisan on on a full Sunday. And whenever you're ready, while we're singing the closing songs, you can take um, those elements, the bread and the juice, remembering that Christ's body was broken for you. Not just for us, but for you. And that Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Not just the specific ones that put him on the cross, but all of the sins that those sins symbolize and represent, including each one that each one of us has committed. Um, I encourage you to remember that this is the sacrament that unites you one to another, much as baptism, I I spoke about that earlier, does. If you don't want to take communion today, that's okay. There's not an expectation that everyone does. You are totally permitted just to stay where you are, to think or pray or sing or just observe. You're welcome in this place, whatever your response to this message might be, whatever your response to the scriptures might be. But this sacrament tells us that love wins out at the end, that love conquers death, love conquers sin, love will eventually wipe away the tears from every eye. And it's love that tells us we are truly, truly not alone. So as our band comes and leads us in some more singing, I invite you to respond as the Spirit leads. Our communion table is open. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.